Hello and welcome to the British Sitcom History Podcast. My name is Alan, with me as always is Gareth. Hello. And this week we are dealing with The Inbetweeners, one of our more modern sitcoms that we've looked at from 2008 Mm. and probably should best set this up straight away because of the nature of the show and the bad language they use and everything we will be quoting from things and perhaps playing clips that is going to have uh, some how would you phrase it saucy saucy language salty language <laughs> I, we should, I should for the benefit of the listeners we we do try to have a sort of pg rating and not use such bad language in this uh, in this podcast because generally that's in keeping with the shows we're talking about. But I just don't think it's going to be possible this time. So I think we need to warn our listeners up front. If you are sensitive to bad language or uh, a sexy talk, this might not be the episode for you. Or paedophile teachers. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's your fair warning. Uh, so let's get straight into it. Uh, and I think we should start with talking about personal experience. Because The Inbetweeners is one of the, well, it is the most modern show we've done so far. Mm -hmm. And one of only a few that we've done that were kind of around in my, maybe not my lifetime, but certainly in my kind of consciousness as as an adult. Well, I think this is interesting, Alan, because most of the sitcoms that we've covered so far, in fact, I think all of the sitcoms we've covered so far, you know, I might have a memory of them from my childhood, but... Essentially, you've been the expert and you've watched every episode and I've watched a couple to remind myself and that's been the basis of our discussion. But I, I've got a sneaking suspicion I'm going to be a bit more versed in the Inbetweeners than you are. Well, basically, the Inbetweeners is something I actually watched when I was of an age to properly appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And I relate to it in a way that I don't think I have with any of the other shows we've talked about, certainly right. not to the same extent. And I think that at its heart, is why The Inbetweeners was such a success. Uh, I think people really related to it, uh, and people saw themselves in it, and they saw their friends in it. But when it first came out, which was 2008, I was already well into my 20s. I was past Mm -hmm. the age of the sixth form, and and I saw adverts for it, and I saw things about it, and I thought, oh, that's that's for the youths. I'm not really interested. It's not really for me. It's a kid's thing. And then it was so it was quite a few years afterwards that I actually finally watched it. So I would have been in late 20s, I guess. And yeah, definitely I related to it. I totally appreciate that it took me back to my teenage years. There's so so much thing, so much going on with these. And and part of that is the language, just just them them calling each other gay constantly. That is such like a foundation of my childhood. Mm. <laughs> like when it wasn't uh, when it wasn't an insult, quite in the same way it would be if you said it today. <laughs> well, I think we'll probably return to this and the 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 shall we say the political correctness and how things have yes. changed, which we've talked about, you know, with sitcoms from the seventies. Uh, but we'll 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 return to that. My yes. experience of watching this is fairly similar to yours in that I also, I'm nine years older than you. So I missed this when it first came out, but then binged it all about 10 years ago. So I would have been mm. 35 then. And exactly the same as you, completely related to it. Could completely, it took me straight back to those awkward teenage years. Yeah. However, having just watched the whole, ser- the whole three series again in the last two weeks, I had a very different experience of it this time. And, and this, mm. is, this has fascinated me. I am now the son of a 15 year old, sorry, the father of a 15 year old boy. 
And I completely related to Simon's dad throughout this entire series. <laughs> so so I, I, I feel like I've generationally shifted now. And so, I, don't get me wrong, I still enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the in-betweeners again uh, at the age of 45. But I definitely experienced it in a slightly different way. I, I think that's good because, we'll, I say we'll get into the details of this, but I, I really like the parent characters in this. I think they're well drawn and mm. I think the way that the children relate to them uh, is... Everything's a little bit comically exaggerated. But sure. ultimately, it's kind of grounded in reality, and I, I really related to a lot of that as well. Obviously, I'm not a parent myself, but I like the parent characters from a child's point of view, I suppose. Yeah. I, I think the best thing to do is we'll actually crack into a, a particular episode, mm-hmm. and then uh, we'll branch off as we go along. And uh, We, we decided chosen... on the first episode of Series 2, which is the field trip. Yeah. So that's where the boys all go on a geography field trip even though Neil doesn't do geography, to Swanage. And they get up to lots of antics. And there's also a girl involved in this episode, which yeah. uh, adds some spice to the relationship between the boys. Yes, and it's, it's a good episode. It's got all the kind of general ingredients. Although it is an unusual episode in the sense that they are away from the normal environment of the school. Mm. This is a sitcom, a situation comedy. You have to have a situation. But we should also address the fact that this is a single camera sitcom. Yep. It's not in front of an audience. It's not on a stage. And therefore, you do have a lot more freedom to get away from your standard uh, situation because you're not, you don't have to build it each week <laughs> and create your stories around that. It's really interesting. You, 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 now you've worded that. Where is the in-between a set? And you're probably right in that the school is the most common location. But, we, you know, we're inside all of their houses. We're outside. We're inside. It's not really set in a place, is it? It's set around yeah. their lives. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that is one of the main differences that we've found since the late 90s when this single camera setup kind of style started you still follow that situational environment so the office is set in an office for example but it gives you the freedom to get out of that much more easily because the difference between filming in the studio and filming out on location is now no longer a thing everything's filming Mm -hmm. on location this sitcom was filmed in a school it's not filmed in a set to look like a school it's a school but obviously we still have that cultural heritage of a sitcom that is set around a particular situation Mm. and so you have the royal family it's pretty much all set in that living room you have the office it's pretty much all set in the office this is starting to branch out from that this is starting to go okay do you know what we have a situation because that's what's holding them all together. Why do these people know each other? But we don't have to stay there. And I think it'll be interesting to see how that develops in the future as well. I think this is still recent enough that we haven't seen the end of that progression. Mm-hmm. There are still traditionally shot sitcoms uh, being made, but it's easier now to branch away and do different yeah. things. And uh, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll address that at some point in the future. Well, you know, I'm not an aficionado with the technicalities of television production. But I would imagine that, yeah, going out on location and using a single camera to make a television program is a lot easier in the digital video era than it was in the 1990s. Yes. Yes. Generally cheaper. Yeah, well, when I say easier, I suppose that's what I mean is cheaper. But arguably more difficult than filming it just in a, in a studio set. Uh, mm-hmm. Certainly more time consuming. A lot more yeah. time spent actually filming. But you probably have less time in rehearsal. Uh, because mm-hmm. you, you're not trying to do it as a 30-minute play. But well, I remember when we talked about Faulty Towers, we were talking about locations, and you know, you said they would go in and build the sets that they needed that week. 
And, you know, mm. it, you'd obviously always have the hotel lobby, but maybe this week we need the kitchen, this week we need room three. There's none of that here, is there? They need good location scouts, but once they've got them, they just dress them and go. Well, that's that. The, the different challenge there is you're doing a series, you're doing six episodes, you hire to use some space in a school. Mm-hmm. and you have a three-week filming block to do everything that you have in the school for all six episodes. Right. And then you go to the house where you're shooting. It's Oh, it's Simon's house. So then you yeah. shoot all the scenes that you have in Simon's house, and you get the actors in for the specific scenes. So would this have been shot completely out of sequence then? Yeah, exactly, yeah. People approach that differently. But yeah, when you're working on locations, you're just going to go to that mm-hmm. location and get as much done there as you can. Uh, so in, in this particular episode, they go to Swanage, um, I don't know if it was actually Swanage, but they go to Swanage. And so there are a lot of things filmed in the harbour yeah. where they have the boat filmed. Obviously, that's one filming block. They're going to do everything while they're there. Yeah. But then, for example, uh, filming when they're in the dormitory, mm-hmm. that could be anywhere. No, but my question was really more about the other episodes where, where as you said, that you know, the sixth form common room, there's something in every episode in that room. Would they film all of those in a couple of days? So they would, rather than film episode one and then next week, episode two, they would do it by location. They would film everything, yeah. Um, possibly they would try and do it, uh, you know, uh, for everything from episode one on over a couple of days and then move yeah. to episode two, perhaps. But then you're also dealing with, let's say you've got Greg Davis in. Why would you get him in for several days over weeks when you can just get him in for a couple of days, do all his scenes? Yeah, and that makes sense. He, he, all his scenes are in the same place. So you just, yeah, you hire the location, you get him in for the day and you do them all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it is a very different process to the traditional sitcom, but it's it's certainly not a new revelation, revolutionary system. It's just how people make films. But how does that translate to comedy? Do we do not have an audience to bounce off of and we do not have a laugh track either? Mm-hmm. which some some shows do actually film not in front of an audience, but then will get audience laughter on it as well. That is a change in style we've seen in the last 20 years. And personally, as a general rule, I like traditional sitcom. I like classic sitcom. Yeah, I like to see the actors bouncing off the audience. So this doesn't have that at all. But as we have seen, it can work. Yeah. I like the in-betweeners. I like the office. You know, this it, obviously that can work, but it must be so much more difficult to judge. Mm-hmm. from a writer's point of view, from a performer's point of view, if mm. it's working or not. Well, we've talked before about how sitcom, the early days of sitcom, it, it was it was just a film theatrical production, essentially. Yeah. But, you know, that was 50, 60 years ago. The, the, the form has evolved and it's gone through mm. lots of shifts and changes. And now we're at the point where a sitcom like The Inbetweeners is, is much closer to a, a, a film, to a movie than to a theatrical production. Yes. Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah, definitely. And obviously it did transfer to films. <laughs> we'll talk about mm-hmm. that a little bit later. Yeah, yeah. Well, shall we start with, because we've been guilty in the last couple of episodes of missing this bit out. So shall we start with the titles and the music? Yeah, sure. So I, I don't like the titles, the sort of black and white titles very much. But yeah, right. I think the music's really distinctive. But I think it yeah. works really well. It feels like a little bit anarchic and a little bit teenager. And, you know, I think it's a good, yeah. good choice. Yeah, and I think I think the credits, the the visual credits line up with that. It's just very flashy jump cuts, bah, 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 yeah, bah, you know, it's all kind of. A, but I, I, yeah, I think it's quite succinct. That's a more modern thing as well. You don't want a thirty second uh, intro thing. You've just got to get true. it. Like, look, here's the thing. Get out, get on with it. 
But those lo-fi graphics, I just it feels like a sort of early version of Microsoft Paint or something. I don't know. It just it just feels a bit <laughs> it feels a bit cheap, I suppose. Well, it probably was, to be yeah. fair. <laughs> it was like, how can we make this look decent? I'll tell you something else while we while we talk about the credits. It's kind of connected to the credits. The in-betweeners has got that habit which I find annoying of most non-fiction television these days where they tell you what's going to happen and then at the end they tell you what you've just seen and there's a sort of pre and post episode narration from will Uh, that i I just i just don't i don't think that adds any value i don't need it i completely agree with that actually uh so in this episode this is the first episode of series two so i think i'm slightly more forgiving of it here because what he's saying is like he's resetting what we've we've i can can see that with a new series but but it's not just in this episode but that, yeah, it's certainly not just something they do here. And I actually think that the fact that Will is the narrator and does the, that voice of God narration is unnecessary. Yeah, in general, in the whole show, I don't think it adds anything. I don't think anything ever happens that we won't understand unless he explains it. Hmm. Like even the begin, the very opening first episode, it's pretty obvious he's a new person at this school and he's a bit of a specky loser. Like yeah. he's, the, he's the nerd, you know. It's, it's, it's all very transparent what's happening. Yeah, so the, narration, sh- the narration says, oh, my mum made me carry this briefcase. And then someone shouts briefcase wanker at him. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah we, got the, we get the idea. <laughs> yeah. So I actually think that's completely unnecessary. And I also think that anywhere where you're using narration, this goes for any fiction, film, TV, whatever, drama, comedy, generally speaking, if you have a narrator explaining what's happening, that means the writing isn't good enough. That means the writing isn't explaining it. Mm. And there are times when you could use that and it's and it's still valid. There are times when you just have to use it because something is so complex that you need yeah. that. Most of the time, it's a crutch and it's usually a sort of last resort technique because, like, we just can't make this work without it. And I don't know, I, I think... But this, I don't think that's, that's the, case the case here. That's yeah, not I, the no, case I agree. here. But, so I think, I can only assume they just wrote it with that idea in mind and they just stuck with it and they never thought, well, why should we do this? It's not necessary. But I, I, I do agree, it's completely unnecessary. And, and it, it is used at least consistently because the worst thing is when they just use it every now and then because they think something's not working. Mm. But I think the other the other consequence of that is that it it pushes Will, the character who narrates, mm. into the role of central character. It's about him. I'm really glad you've brought this up because I, I think that's a real error. Because if you look at mm. our four protagonists, Simon's the everyman. Simon is the guy yes. that you relate yes. to. He's the normal one. The other three are, to some extent, cartoonish exaggerations. Mm. And it feels to me like The Inbetweeners is a sitcom about Simon and his three mates. So why is yeah. Will the narrator? That, yes, it does not fit. Exactly. And I think perhaps it was written, the first he was was written to have Will as that central character, but then obviously they want it to be this ensemble between the four of them. But by by putting that narration into it, it really centralizes him. We've seen that we see this time and time again. This is classic, certainly comedy writing, but also in any kind of writing. You begin by having a newcomer come into the situation mm-hmm. because they're the audience proxy. As they learn what's going on, so does the audience. Mm-hmm. So to have this outsider coming in, perfect for a first episode. To have him being a bit different to everyone else, again, perfect, creates conflict straight away. But to centralize him with that narration means it's about him. It's not about this school and here's a new kid and here's some kids who are already here. Yeah. So yes, I think that's an error. I don't think it's a... a huge error i don't think it completely destroys the the show or anything but well it's funny because i didn't really 
again, there's death by analysis here. I didn't really notice that as a problem until this recent watch when I was, mm. you know, literally making notes and, and thinking about it in a bit more detail. I, I do think it's a problem, but it clearly clearly wasn't enough of a problem for me to have noticed before. So, it, so I don't think it's massive. I don't think it's a massive issue. Yes, and I agree that... Uh... I think Simon is the central character, or, or it certainly becomes so more and more as we go along. Mm. Neil and Jay become the kind of comedy characters on the on the side, and Simon and Will and their relationship becomes much more central. Yeah, which obviously you can't have in the first episode because they only just met. But I also think that Simon, yes, as you said, being the most normal, certainly the most relatable for me. <laughs> but everyone, everyone knows someone like Jay or knows someone like Neil, but. I think most people would say I'm like Simon. I would say that you're right about that, the way the relationship between Will and Simon changes. But I would challenge that a little bit. I I think that there are, what, 18 episodes, three series, six episodes in each series. And I think you could probably drop any one of those episodes into any one of the other series. They're pretty interchangeable. You know, not a lot changes. That's not a problem. I, I, I'm, I'm not. That's not a grumble. I think the situation is good. It's funny. It's their adventures in sixth form, and, and and that's fine. That that works. Well, this particular episode that we're looking at is a bit more divisive than the others because we do really have a Simon and Will storyline mm-hmm. and a Neil and Jay storyline, yeah. which they don't tend to separate them quite that much. Uh, and obviously, they still fused together quite significantly well i'll tell you what before we get into the episode details let's we've we've started talking about the characters so let's cover the first of them let's talk about will and then perhaps we can talk about simon bird the actor as well so will is the the grammar school boy the private school boy who has had to come to a comprehensive for sixth form because his parents have split up and clearly money is becoming a thing so he's the outsider he's the one who expects something different and is coming into a a different world and certainly in terms of my life experience i think you're the Mm -hmm. same i went to a grammar school and then went to a comprehensive sixth form but i don't relate to will i I don't you weren't a briefcase wanker I was never out of place because, if anything, I was probably more out of place in grammar school. (laughs) Although I can't say I particularly felt out of place there, but I think I fitted more in that comprehensive world. The big thing for me was suddenly I was going from a boys' school to a mixed school. That was certainly a a big thing. Uh, And that is something that this show addresses quite considerably, the uh, burgeoning sexuality of adolescence. (laughs) But with Will, you know, he he says several times a recurring line is, I'm very mature for my age. And of course, he is incredibly immature in so many ways but he's precocious <laughs> yeah. which is not yeah. a compliment you know he's he's got pretensions to be mature for his age i was thinking about um he, what what this character reminded me of and it's it's a fish out of water you know it's a classic sitcom mm. fish out of water and it's almost like blackadder goes to school at some points where he's exasperated and he can't quite understand the world he's in yeah one of those sort of recurring fantasies is you think oh god if i had my time again what could i do differently and you imagine if you yeah. knew what you know now but you could go back to when you were 16, how you would live life differently. But the problem is you would still have that 16-year-old raging hormonal body and you probably wouldn't be able to live how you wanted to live. And I think that's Will. I think that's exactly what he is. He sort of wants to be a grown-up and he wants to be mature, but he's he's stuck in the body of this raging hormonal 16-year-old who's desperate for female attention. And there is still some emotional immaturity there, certainly, if not kind of mental immaturity. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that the, the character, like you say, the, there's not a huge changes of these characters over the series. Uh, there's not a huge character arcs. So he, as a character, never quite loses that. He never he never fits mm. in. He finds this kind of bunch of misfits to hang around with. Yeah. 
And, you know, that's what the, the title comes in. They're, they're the in-betweeners. And that mm. sort of really refers to their age. They're in between childhood and adulthood. But also their in-between stage. They're not cool, but they're not losers. They're not total nerds. Yeah. They're, they're just this kind of in-between people. And the, who are they? What's their identity? Yeah. I think it's a beautiful title, actually. For, for it's, mm. I think it sums that point in life up very well. And, and again, I think I fell into that category. I wasn't cool at school, but yeah, I wasn't a, a, yeah. a loser at all. You know, I was just plodding along. I had my little group of friends. I didn't get in anybody's way yeah so i i do relate to it all what i like about will is he doesn't particularly try to change he's sort of like well this is who i am yes and he keeps that briefcase you know it's admirable it's admirable (laughs) when he's when he's there's several times where he's trying to chat up women and actually in this episode it's the exception where he does his cringeworthy yoda impression and (laughs) she thinks there's something wrong with him Feisty one you are. Why are you talking like that? It was Yoda from Star Wars. It's the same impression I was doing on the coach for about an hour. Oh, was that what that was? Oh, good. I thought you might, you know, have a problem. <laughs> no. Or Asperger's, maybe. Wrong again. Have you ever been tested for anything? Good one. <laughs> but actually, throughout the series, there are other instances where he, you know, he he, he doesn't talk down to people he 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 retains his his maturity and he he talks to people with maturity and as an adult and doesn't try to be something he's not yes and he finds connections there like he throughout the series he has a run of much more attractive women than he should be getting kind of connections and they're always kind of really kind of popular the thing is always like oh why is she interested in him and she's just like oh well you're just a bit weird and funny and you're kind of different to the normal boys which is probably true he's just not trying to get into their pants constantly well he is but in a less overt way what about simon bird then i mean we should we should Talk about the age of the cast. Yes. So uh, Simon's our first, Simon Bird's our first cast member. But how old were they all when, when filming the first series of In Between Us? Simon Bird would have been 23. Yeah. Joe Thomas is about six months older. Yeah, if we're going to talk about Simon Bird, we need to talk about Joe Thomas as well, because they come as a pair. Okay. Yeah, Simon Bird plays Will, Joe Thomas plays Simon. And they're both pretty classic grammar school boys who then went up to Cambridge yeah. They were in the same year at Cambridge. They met and they were both in the Cambridge Footlights. Ah. In fact, Simon Bird was the president of the Footlights. He was very mature for his age. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, they, they met each other at, at Cambridge and they became friends. And they they also did a sketch act together with a guy called Johnny Sweet. Mm-hmm. Uh, they all lived together after uni. You know, they, they were friends, right? They are friends. <laughs> very good. And... Uh, this brought them into the world of Damon Beasley and Ian Morris, who are the writers mm-hmm. of The Inbetweeners, because they worked on sketch comedy. They and, and these writers, they were producers for Channel 4. They worked on all this stuff. So the worlds just collided. They knew them. And they did consider them for these roles in the show that they were trying to cast. Yeah. And just thought, oh, no, they're not, they're not quite right. They're not right. Sorry. Went under nationwide casting, tried, you know, auditioned thousands of young men <laughs> yeah and some kind of somehow eventually came back to these two and i think it's a crucial element because these guys are not they're not exactly hired actors they are actors obviously but they've not just mm. been brought in to play these roles they've come in and much more embodied the roles and this goes for jay and neil as well the character the actors that play them when you hear them being interviewed or you see them interacting that's those same personality types are coming through yes it's not to say they're the same as the characters but they're obviously 
as a person, as an actor, are bringing so much to that character that's yeah. probably not simply written by the writers. Um, and I think particularly with the likes of Simon Bird, if you hear him being interviewed or see him doing stand-up or something like that, mm, it's, it's, it's like Will from The Inbetweens yeah. doing stand-up. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, it's uh, quite fascinating. Uh, yeah, so those two did come in as a pair and were really good friends. Mm-hmm. So I think that's going to engender some chemistry and, and all the behind the scenes stuff you see, this does feel like a bunch of lads messing about making a TV show. <laughs> you, when you hear the producers and thing talking about it, it perhaps went a bit too far. <laughs> they, want, they want a little bit more control would have been nice professionalism. <laughs> but uh, but that, that's, but that's good. I mean, that, that easy relationship, particularly between those two characters, that, you know, that shows, doesn't it? And, and the, yeah, not just the warmth between them, but the, the way the dialogue works and the timing of it all, it, it's, they're comfortable with each other. It, it doesn't feel like they're acting. Yes, and they are, they are not only friends, they perform together. Mm. They're comedians as opposed to actors necessarily. So they're they have sketch the timing, comedians. They, they write their own material. So yeah, they, they kind of know where it's all coming from, I suppose. It's, yeah, they know what they're doing uh, and, and they can be trusted with that, I suppose. Yeah. Okay, well, let's let's uh, we'll come back to Joe Thomas and some of the other actors, but let's go back to our episode, the field trip. So mm-hmm. we start the episode with them uh, about to go on this field trip to Swanage, and there's a bit of banter about Pedo Kennedy, one of the teachers. Yes, and <laughs> it's it's really funny because every school they, you probably had a Pedo teacher who you know yes. everyone just said, oh, he's a Pedo because he looked at someone funny once. But, you know, as this plays out, he is actually a paedophile, which seems extraordinary <laughs> that, that that Mr. Gilbert appears to be condoning this. Uh, this uh, Even in 2008, I think, are we pre-Jimmy Savile, I think, still? I think we're just pre-Jimmy <laughs> Savile, but I, I, I'm not sure paedophilia was comedy gold anymore. <laughs> Part of what the in-betweeners does is they do kind of run it a little bit close to the edge and they get away with that largely because it's teenagers. They can call each other benders. They can be really uh, gross about women because they're adolescents and we kind of expect that. This is a slightly different, <laughs> having a teacher who is actually quite predatory towards some of the students. Mm. This all plays into something where I feel like the in-betweeners is harking back to something slightly different. Hmm. It's set in 2008, it's made in 2008, but it feels older than that. And that obviously comes from the writers. The writers were born in the early 70s. Mm-hmm. Their adolescence was the turn of the 90s. And that's what it feels like. So for me, I was 10 years yes. behind that, but I think I'm still close enough to that yeah, to, yeah. to get it. You're obviously the right generation for that. And I bet that if you were 18 in 2008, you could watch this and relate to it, no doubt. But this feels like it's harking back to something. I think that in the 90s, there was a pedo teacher and people would have just hushed it under the carpet. Whereas in, 2000, in the 2010s, yeah. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. <laughs> and that goes with all the stuff, all the gay jokes. Uh, Wouldn't be acceptable now. Whereas in the 90s, it, it probably, it was wrong, but it was what teenage boys did. This let's go back to this scene because I really like this scene. It's the the first scene of the second series, and it really yep. gives us a very quick introduction to who our four characters are. So they're yep. they're stood outside the bus and they're talking about what are we going to do when we get to Swanage. Jay goes off on some filthy monologue about how he's going to get all this sex from some middle aged woman. Apparently, mm-hmm. Simon, who's normal, says, "Well, maybe we could meet some girls and just you know get some booze or something," which seems perfectly reasonable. <laughs> Will replies to that by saying, "Oh, you mean everything we shit at here, but by the sea?" 
And then Neil suggests, maybe we could get some fireworks in the room, which is just perfectly <laughs> stupid, Neil. It's, it's yeah. such a great quick, it, that must be 20 seconds, if that. And it's a perfect yeah. introduction to our characters. Yeah, we get, we've, we've summed everyone up there. We're in. Uh, and so, yes, yeah, so we, we embark on a coach trip. So we also get here uh, Donovan, the sort of school hard kid. Yeah. Uh, so Donovan is in the first series quite consistently and less in the later series. Because I think they just need him there in that first series to set up mm. the dangers of yeah. comprehensive education, I guess, yeah. that Will is not used to. And I think it's a quite a nice character here. And I heard the writers talking about this on, the, on something, and they were basically saying, like, Donovan is the hard kid, yes. But he's the hard kid in sixth form, because all the proper hard kids leave when they're 16. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a really good insight. But yes, that's absolutely right. Because we, we do see at one point where Will is in, in, at a party in the bedroom with Donovan's ex. And we think Donovan's yeah. going to smack him. You know, he, He's going to be in a lot of trouble as Donovan barges in. But actually, Donovan's really upset because this is his ex-girlfriend yeah. and he really misses her and he loves her. And and mm-hmm. you just see that side of the this this recurring character. You're like, okay, so he's not a complete hard nut. But that's that's a really <laughs> interesting insight. Yes, and a nice performance. I have seen. I saw a little bit of uh, Henry Lloyd Hughes, the guy, the guy who plays. Donald. Yeah, he's he's been in quite a few things. He was in. Um, oh gosh, I can't remember what it was called, but he was in a BBC drama about the Raj, Indian Summers, it was called, and he was very good in that. And I was about three episodes in before I realised it was Donovan. Yeah, well, even on, I've seen some of the behind the scenes stuff uh, on the in betweeners. Uh, sort of little interviews and stuff with him and he's like a, a, a slightly camp drama school kid yeah. <laughs> he's like yeah. completely different to uh, the character he's playing which is nice Donovan doesn't do anything which isn't extreme everything he does is extreme um, it's just non-stop kind of staring and or throttling people um, and or swearing um, so there's no half measures Yes, and uh, so he's there to just make sure they get split up on the bus and they have to go and sit next to random people. Mm-hmm. And Will gets sit, sits next to some new girl called Lauren, uh, who also just happens to be a very attractive young lady. Yeah. And, uh, I, just, just to jump ahead here, at the end of the episode, in part of the post-episode narration that I've just said I don't like, there's a throwaway line that, oh, Lauren had to move away, we never saw her again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is a really neat way to wrap, the, wrap that <laughs> arc up. <laughs> Yeah. So she had a three-day experience at the school, which included a field trip. <laughs> yeah, usually in sitcom, that character would just disappear and would never get mentioned. So yeah. it, it feels yeah. like almost like an in-joke to actually just go, oh, yeah, yeah she moved away. <laughs> it made me laugh. Uh, yeah, so this so this girl, Lauren, she is just in for this one episode. She is there to create division. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Will is, is quite smitten with her because it's a woman who is talking to him. That's enough. And again, this is... Uh, a good demonstration of him just abandoning any kind of personal feelings he has to impress a girl. He thinks Neil is being childish uh, about the, with the truck driver getting to blow his horn, but she says it's cool. So he's like, oh yeah, yeah, it's cool, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, let's do it again. It, I mean, throughout this episode, Will's interactions with Lauren are excruciating. And this is the first one where, you know, he's just, he desperately wants her to be mature like him. And he just thinks, oh great, this is someone grown up that I can speak to and relate to. And no, no, she's just a 16 year old girl. <laughs> Will, you've got nothing in common with her. <laughs> Throughout the show, actually, Will, he is, he's mature and all that, and, and but he is extraordinarily arrogant um, yes. at the times. You know, when he ruins it with a girl, it's generally his own fault. It's yes. generally because he's being a dickhead in some kind of way. Or he'll make, a, he'll make assumptions. Like, we don't quite see it here, but there's a couple of the times in, in the show where he, he'll be like, look, well, look, I mean, come on, you... 
we talked, we, we had a conversation for five minutes. So like, are you saying you don't like me now? What's going on? <laughs> like he, he assumes so much from kind yes. of basic communications and that's very relatable. Yes. <laughs> As a teenager. Yes, it absolutely is. <laughs> she talked to me pleasantly for five minutes. We're obviously in. <laughs> uh, one more thing that we get here on the coach journey is uh, Mr. Gilbert. Oh, let's talk about this form. magnificent beast. <laughs> Yeah, so Greg Davis uh, plays mm. Mr. Gilbert, and at this point wasn't particularly well known as an actor. He was a stand-up comedian. Did some he was sketch a sketch comedy. group, wasn't he? Yes, we are clang. Uh, but that's in itself sketch acting, not quite the same. Yeah. What he actually does in this series is really very small amount of stuff. He pops in every now and then. But and it's generally is quite scene small stealing, scenes. isn't it? It's it, it's 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 escapist fantasy, is what it is. Now, Greg Davis, we know. I know that he used to be a teacher. And this yes. is obviously him living out the fantasies of everything he's ever wanted to say to every student. <laughs> we, yes. I think we can all relate to that. I've never been a teacher, but I've dealt with other human beings and wanted to say this sort of thing to them. And it's just wonderful to watch. Every single scene he's in, he absolutely owns. And, and <laughs> you can't help but enjoy it. I, I do like it, but I, I feel like it could be dialed down 20%. <laughs> Still work and have a bit more reality base in it. No, I mean, it is obviously cartoonish. We talk a little bit about Greg Davis and he went on to do uh, Man Down, which is a sitcom. Yes. But it, I, I, I find Man Down a lot more enjoyable if you imagine it as a live action cartoon rather than as a sitcom. <laughs> because it's, right, it's yeah. so cartoonish. And actually, a lot of the stuff that he did with We Are Clang was very cartoonish as well. And so mm. this, the, the, the performance of Mr. Gilbert is toned down. That is toned down from the sort of usual sketch comedy that he was doing right, yeah, at the time. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and he's obviously a formidable presence as well. He's six foot eight tall. Mm-hmm. He's quite stocky with it. It's, so he towers over these, these adults who are playing children, basically. And I think that does help <laughs> to belittle them. Yeah. Uh, so it's very nice casting. There's a great scene where he, um, it's the scene where Will calls him Phil and in, he oh, yes. at great length makes him call him, yes, Mr. Gilbert instead of Phil. Thanks for that, Phil. Phil? Oh, it's just because the dance is outside of school time, so I assumed. Well, you assumed wrong, Will. Very wrong. Sorry. Right then. Um... Say my name properly. Mr. Gilbert. Say thank you. Thank you. Say thank you, Mr. Gilbert. Thank you, Mr. Gilbert. Better. That's a really funny scene. It's a really funny scene because it goes on for so long and it's so painful. But it's a, it's enhanced by the fact that they're standing alongside each other and Simon Bird doesn't even get up to his armpit and he's looking up at <laughs> Gilbert. Gilbert's staring menacingly down at him. It's fantastic physicality. That, I, I like that scene. I think that's where it really works perfectly, like that level. And then there's sometimes where he's, where so like for example, he's giving a speech to the cl- to the year and saying, "I will, mm. I will have forgotten about you in five minutes. Please never contact me again." It's like, okay, that's just, I don't know, it just goes <laughs> slightly over a line of reality. But my my favorite bit, I think, is when he's got si- he's got Will Will's mum and Neil's dad mm. yeah. uh, in the office. I can't remember why. What it's happens? it's the work experience, and they've both oh, yes, they've yes. accidentally been sent to the wrong places. So stupid Neil has gone to the local newspaper to be a journalist, and all he can think about is his lunch break. And poor old Will has been sent to a garage where he's been humiliated and abused. And so <laughs> you know the parents have gone into Mr. Gilbert to to try and put this right, and he just can't stop laughing. 
He's just the idea of Will uh, in a in a working class <laughs> establishment yeah, yeah. as a garage. He knows how funny that is, and uh, he has to excuse himself. Steps outside to laugh uproariously, <laughs> clearly within a shot. Of yeah, yeah. But my absolute favourite moment of Mr. Gilbert is at the end of that scene. He was like, "Look, I'll have a word with the organisers. I'll see what I can do now. So excuse me, I have to go to another meeting." Walks out of the door, and then you just see him in the background just go. <laughs> washes his hands of the whole thing he's like job done move on <laughs> couldn't give a damn <laughs> well actually so back to our back to our field trip episode now you know we get to Swanage and Jay is um, well I'm sorry I can't keep it clean here because the word is he's a bullshitter and this is an important distinction. Someone, I don't want to get political here, but someone uh, recently said about Donald Trump, he's not a liar, he's a bullshitter. So a liar is someone who is calculating and tries to tries to manipulate people. Mm. Jay, like Donald Trump, just, just, just bullshits. He just makes stuff up as he goes along. There's no rhyme or reason to it. He's just a bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yes. What's yes, fascinating about this is that Jay has told everybody that there's a housewife in Swanage and every year she has sex with one of the students who goes down and he's going to be that boy this year. But he believes it. Now, he's made this up, but he's convinced himself that this is true. And he ruins (laughs) his entire weekend by trying to find this woman, even though it's just a bit of nonsense that he made up to impress his friends. Well, maybe, maybe this particular case, someone's actually told him this. And it's someone else has bullshitted him. And he's just believed it. He's bought into it because, you know, he says stuff like this all the time. So why shouldn't it be true? Well, let's talk about the Jay character more broadly. Because because the Jay character, you know, he is this cartoonish liar. And he's an Mm. exaggerator. And he's disgusting. You know, he talks about sex constantly. He's He Mm. personifies all the uncomfortable bits of the in-betweeners that you kind of think, oh, that doesn't doesn't age well. Is it it for you? The more fingers up, the better. I fucking love it. Try to get at least three. What, I'm telling you, all the birds I've shagged love that. So no birds love that then? Well, your mum loved it. Brilliant. So that's that's our impression of Jay. You know, he's just this comedic liar figure. Mm. But when you watch 18 episodes within a week, a, a different picture emerges of this haunted, tragic figure underneath mm. that facade. And, you know, over the course of the episodes, we see his dad, who's a horrible, mm. emotionally abusive man. And, you know, we see at one point, Jay has a girlfriend for a, a, an episode and she dumps him and he's so heartbroken. And those snippets into the real Jay, they're the only saving grace for him. And they make him actually yeah. a sympathetic character, possibly. Yeah, so I think... The first time you see his dad, that all clicks into place a little bit more. Yes. Uh, his dad is just a, a dickhead, basically, a bully who belittles him constantly. Yeah. You're more likely to get somewhere with a fat so because they're grateful for the attention, even from a loser like you. <laughs> dad. They say any port in a storm, and she was the size of a fucking bull. <laughs> I know what you're up to. You think because she's so massive, she'll count as two shags. Well, she doesn't. <laughs> I'll get plenty of girls. No, you bloody don't. And even if you did, what could you do with that thing? It's like a McDonald's chip. Oh, Dad. You definitely take after your mum in the cock size department. She ain't got one either. Dad, can you just leave me alone for once? And so that's his escape, is to build himself up (laughs) with his friends just Mm. by lying. And the beauty of it, and why it's so well written in terms of what he's saying, is it's all... 
in isolation, any one of these things could be true, <laughs> or like, or, yeah. or at least close enough. It's always just something. Oh, yeah, it's someone I know from like the next town over. Yeah, yeah. You don't, you've never met them, you know. It, like he had trials at West Ham or whatever. It's like, yeah, yeah. probably, maybe he did. You know, possibly. You know. Like, so that's really well written. And the other beautiful thing about it, in terms of performance, that James Buckley, the actor, brings so much heart to it. And and, mm. and like you said, when he's called upon to be upset, you see that. But also, just in general, he's the bullshitter. Yeah, he's the big swinger around here, and he sort of talks this big game, but he crumbles so easily. Yeah. And and you can see him scrambling for the next lie. You know, like, he says something, and then someone goes, oh, well, well, what about this? You said this. And he's like, well, yeah, yeah, I said that, but, you know, this. Like, he will yeah. just find the solution. But you see that. You see that mental process in the character because the actor is performing it. But it's not stupidly overt either. It's really nice performance. But what's fascinating to me in terms of the, the the dynamics between the four characters, Will never believes a single thing he says and calls him yeah. on it. I don't think Simon yeah. believes most of what he says, although occasionally Will asks Jay for some advice on women, which which seems yes. to me completely f- foolish. But like Neil, Neil's credulous and Neil will go along with whatever he says, but he yeah. still keeps on. He still carries on despite the fact that Will is just constantly undermining him and saying, well, that's not true. That never happened. Fictional girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that gathers pace as the series runs along. Actually, yeah. I think they they start to believe him less and less, and yeah. certainly Simon does. Simon starts to question him more and more. But then, at the kind of crucial moment, he'll be like, "Oh my god, I'm gonna get a girl in in bed. Like, what what do I do? Give me some and advice." It's just like. Jay. For lack of any other options, I'm going to have to go to this guy who, at least at least he pretends he knows what he's doing. So he must know something, right? Even if it's not real, he must have read it on the internet somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. But then there's the, you know, you, you, you did the friends thing earlier. And that episode where he's, he's oh, got, yeah. he actually gets, there's another friend, someone else who says hello to him. And they're all like, who's that? Who's that? Oh, he's a friend of mine. And this is real. This is a person. This is not something he's made up. This is a guy he knows who's his friend. Yeah. And they just relentlessly take the mickey out of him friends friends to the point where he cracks he ruins that friendship i love that whole thing and i think that the fact that that particular thing and that and going friend that resonated and it really caught on yeah it's because that is so true so i don't know about girls but certainly of boys teenage <laughs> boys any weakness any weakness at all will be pounced upon and mocked mercilessly you've got a f- how can you mock someone for having a friend <laughs> To the point where they destroy that friendship, just so that you'll stop taking the mick out of them. It's it's insane, but it's so true. It's so <laughs> it's relatable. So, it's so true. It doesn't make any sense. Ah, but yeah, he does. He cracks, and he it, yeah. So he's. He, I mean, he's a, he's a really messed up kid. This this kid is a really yeah. messed up individual. He, but that's it. He's messed up, but in a completely normal way. If that yeah. makes sense, it's not yeah. like he's been like beaten as a child and and or anything like that. He's just so confused. He doesn't know who he is. He's just mm-hmm. desperate to impress. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's obviously very self conscious. And overcompensates for it. And I think that's, yeah, he's a mixed up kid, but in a in a very relatable and normal way. Tell me about James Buckley, the actor. Yeah, so James Buckley has kind of had, <laughs> he was the one with more acting experience than anyone else in the uh, in the cast here, because he'd been a child actor, or at least a teenager actor. Mm-hmm. In fact, his, his TV debut was in a sitcom, in a sitcom which I dare say you've not heard of, called Horrible. No. Which was a Johnny Vaughan vehicle. Oh, really? When was What year was that? Because Johnny Vaughan was massive in the 90s. Yeah, 2001. 
I've got a vague memory of this. I don't know if I saw it at the time or what, but so Johnny Vaughn plays a, a cab driver who is also kind of slightly involved in the kind of criminal underworld. He's a bit oh, of a right. gangster. Lock, stock and two smoking barrels was very big at that time. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, it's not a well-made or well-produced funny sitcom. It's really shows its age. Johnny Vaughn is not exactly an actor. Uh, yeah, it's quite quite a fun little thing. It's just him. He's in one episode playing the son of a character and uh, he's a bit of a chavvy gangster wannabe 12-year-old. Ever thought of joining the army, Ryan? You're about the right age for the cadet. Nah, it's for mugs. I mean, if I'm going to get myself shot, I'm going to get shot for no one else but me. You sound like a gangster. Well, maybe that's what I want to be. <laughs> well, I ain't joking. If I ain't got a convertible CLK by the time I'm 15, I consider myself a failure. Ah, uh, there speaks the voice of youth. And there speaks the voice of a 32-year-old with a full Granada. <laughs> Really, the interesting thing about James Buckley was um, he was in the pilot for The Inbetweeners. So they made mm. a pilot. Now, there's a crucial difference here. The pilot was set in the 80s. Oh, okay. Because that's when the writers were this age. Oh, uh, yes, I see. And it was called Baggy Trousers, um, which makes sense. It's being yeah. set in the 80s. And uh, the, in fact, the working title for The Inbetweeners, the series, was Baggy Trousers um, when they were filming it. But... The interesting thing is that James Buckley in the pilot played the character of Neil. Ah, okay. And working with him and getting to know him, they obviously just went, well, this guy's Jay. <laughs> this guy's Jay. <laughs> but the character of Jay isn't in the pilot. It's a slightly different character. Is that pilot available on YouTube? I've never seen that. No, no. I, I've only ever heard people talking about it. And, okay. uh, so there was another actor in it who's playing this Jay-type character, but not quite the same. And so I think they built the character of Jay around James Buckley. I think they, they kind of made mm -hmm. it fit him a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And certainly whenever you see him being interviewed, you watch the behind the scenes stuff. on, on The, the Inbetweeners DVD has got loads of extra material on it. It's just that sweet spot of time when DVDs were that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. And also the, the demographic they were aiming at. And he's the clown. Uh, he's <laughs> And he's like, he's kind of hanging out with these Cambridge graduates. And it's just like definitely not his place, you know. And he, So I think he's just fooling around and messing about. And, and it certainly has a reputation for messing about and talking right up until someone said action uh, so the other actors had no time to kind of mentally get into what they were doing or prepare in any way and he was much more interested in making everyone laugh than actually being professional and, and working on this and getting the, nice the project done which is yeah it's obviously it it's fitting uh, yeah so that's what he'd done before I suppose we'll talk about what they all did afterwards nearer the end yeah, okay. I suppose. We, can, we can get to that at the end then that's fine so if we go back to our episode, The Field Trip, what we get is uh, Lauren uh, coming and hanging out with Will, but in doing so, hanging out with Simon. And he obviously catches her eye uh, much more overtly. So, Well, yeah, because he's not weird. Yes, because exactly. And uh, But I, again, in terms of relatability, meeting a girl and really liking her and then realizing she's obviously into someone else and just having to kind of deal with that and yeah. not necessarily dealing with it very well. <laughs> I've been there. Yeah, I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> so then we have these teenagers, Lauren and, and Simon, just having that kind of those opening gambits of just, oh, I quite like this person, bit, bit mm -hmm. flirty in a kind of awkward yeah. way. But she's quite, she's quite mature of her age in the sense that she just seems quite normal. And Simon's doing his best. 
And then Will just tagging along. Will is just a fly in the ointment. <laughs> trying to ruin it. But not even consciously going, I'm going to ruin this. But he's just like going, well, I'm part of this. Uh, I'm. We're both got an equal chance of getting this girl. And <laughs> here we are. Yes, that he's hugging, she's hugging him now, but perhaps I'll be next. <laughs> and it is... Like well, like you say, everything Will does is excruciating. It is excruciating. Yeah, you won't back off. So, so they're they're out. They're saying good night and they're having this hug. And and Will's just stood there staring. But then he starts talking. Yep. Well, best get off then, Sai. <laughs> just excruciating. Just know when to walk away. But that's it. Not knowing when. Not knowing when to give up. That yeah. that's what it, being sixteen is about. Yeah. Thinking you still is. might have a chance. Any possible chance you might have. You've got to hold on to it as long as you can. Yeah. This girl talked to him for an hour on the bus. She must be interested. Yeah. Ah, dear. That's all for this week. Thank you very much for listening. Do come back next time for more In Between Us fun. And in the meantime, get in touch with us on the social medias at BritcomPod on Instagram and Twitter. Our YouTube page is British Sitcom History. And if you like the show, please do rate and review us on iTunes. That really helps us get greater visibility. Thank you very much and see you next time.